Let's pray, and then we're going to start a new series that Pastor Josh, it's the first time for him putting a, a whole series together here, uh, and it's the family of God. It's based or inspired by the book of Ephesians, but we will be moving through much of the scriptures over the next eight weeks. So let's pray together. Lord, it is an interesting concept that you, you wanted a family on earth, that you Pursue, you created and then you pursued people to be called your own. A group, a people, now we call the church, to represent you well on this planet and to steward your creation. Lord, as we look at the, the origin story, so to speak, of this family that you've created, we pray that you speak to us gently, with wisdom, and if necessary, with conviction. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. And Lord, if there's something I plan to say that you don't want said or something that's, that, that, that is in error, I do not want to say it. I would ask that you convict me of it, but I don't, do not want to say anything that is not of you to your people. But Lord, if there's something you want said that I haven't thought of or come up with in prayer and study, then make it clear to me that it's from you, and I will speak it to your people today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, we're going to look at Gen- just, just a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 12, and then we'll, we'll have a, a three others in Ephesians. But um, it occurred to me this morning that when, that when we met for prayer, and I know Pastor Josh is preaching on something very similar over in Mosaic, um, it, it occurred to me this morning when my wife was praying for the pastors and for the worship services, and, and while she's praying, I, I'm like everybody else, sometimes when someone's praying, you drift off. And, but I drifted off to this particular passage, and it was, it was interesting to me, so I'm just going to throw it out there, that it, it occurred to me that Noah, in particular, and Abram are kind of crazy, and I know that, wow, pastor talking about the fathers of the, of, of the faith. But hear me out for a second. Noah, um, the world, God said that the world had gotten so bad that only thing that was being done in the world was evil everywhere. And God spoke to a guy, Noah, who we don't know for sure if there had ever been rain before. Because in the creation narrative, everything worked the way it was supposed to. And, but we know that there hadn't been really storms up until this point. Um, but people had gotten stormy. And God then spoke to Noah. And Noah listened. I mean, just picture that. They have no history. They have no, they have no scripture. They don't have something written with how God interacts with his people. They just have a voice from heaven. And it might not have been from heaven. It might have been an internal voice. And then Noah started building a boat. Not to my knowledge, there weren't any. So he starts building something that no one has ever built, anticipating a storm that no one has ever seen. And everyone thinks he's crazy. And he, he kind of was because he trusted the voice of a God that no one really knew well. Abram, same thing. Abram, uh, we, we see in, in Genesis 10 and then 11, we see kind of how we got from, from Noah to Abram. Just the kind of the genealogy and the, and, the, and the who had who and who was whose father and all that kind of thing. And then we, we get to this spot where, um, where, where Abram's dad settles in a place. He was on his way to Canaan and he, and he just settled. 
and they, and they pitched their tents, and, they, and that was where they were going to be. And you might, you might recognize this, you might not, but, but in that ancient Semitic culture, everything depended on your family of origin. Everything depended on who your dad was. And if your dad had goodwill in the community, if your dad had, had livestock and whatever, that he would grow his clan and, and multi-generational and they all moved together. So when God came to Abram and gave him this command, the fact that Abram not only heard him, but was willing to abandon everything for the sake of God's command blows me away. And it reads like this. This is Genesis chapter 12, just the first, first three verses. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, there's a word here that we don't normally hold on to. He says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Now, they didn't really have houses. They, they were a, 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 a nomadic culture. And so household means family. Leave everything you know, everything that is secure. And keep in mind that, that back then when people worshiped a God, they believed that the God that they worshiped was God over a territory. It's what's known in theology as cosmic geography. So, oh, by the way, we're testing out a new mic, and I don't know if you can hear that little pop every now and then. That might be I'm breathing out of my nose wrong. I don't know, but we'll figure it out. So it's, called, it's known as cosmic geography. So that a particular God was the God over a particular territory. So when Abram's dad moved from where he was, the Ur of the Chaldeans, to where he landed, they're bringing a God that supposedly has no power in that geography. If you think about, if you think through and remember the story of, I believe his name was Nahum, he was the cupbearer of a king, and he had leprosy, and he came over to uh, the prophet, uh, Jer- uh, Elijah, uh, and he wanted to be healed because he heard that Elijah could heal people, and he came over and he told them to go wash, go wash in the uh, three times or whatever in the in the Jordan River, and you'll be healed. He didn't. The prophet didn't even come out of his tent. So this guy's kind of insulted, but he goes and he washes in the Jordan River, and he comes back and he's healed. That now the prophet comes out and he'll talk to him, and this guy says, "I know that your God is the only God, and but I still am the cupbearer to the king, and he's going to be worshiping this other God. And I want you to know that while he's worshiping that other God, I'm only tending to him because he needs some help getting up and going down. But I want some soil, I want some dirt, and he took some dirt from Yahweh's territory." back to where he was so that he felt that he was worshiping God on his territory. So for it's really complicated, but I just want to give you a little background on that because Abram is commanded to leave the territory that his dad has proclaimed, and he's being asked to leave the territory where God, our God, your God, his God, is, is sovereign over. Now, he might know 
that the God of the universe, Yahweh, is indeed God and that he's God over all things, but that is not how other people are going to interact with Abram as he picks up and leaves and goes to a place that God will tell them about. And they don't understand that the God, not a God, but the God is going to bless all people through this man, Abram, and all of his descendants. But this is where it starts. He is to leave his family to become the forefather of God's family. And we see other times when Abram does what I think is, let's just put it this way. If you, if you were this evening, if you were sitting at your dinner table and you bow your head before dinner to pray, to bless God for blessing you with having enough to eat, and suddenly a voice loud enough that you hear it but no one else does says, I want you to leave everything that you are, everything that you've built. I want to, you don't even take, don't even worry about your children, your grown children, your grandchildren. I want you to pick up and I want you to go somewhere in South America. I'll tell you about it when you get close. Would you pick up and go? Even if you were convinced that it was a voice outside of yourself, that it was a voice from a spirit or a voice, the voice of God, would you pick up and go? Or would you run it by a bunch of people first? I might check myself into Holland Hospital or Zealand on the, on, on, the, on the ward that they lock you down for a little while and do some testing. And I'm not, I'm not coming down on Abram. I, I commend him for, for his faithfulness, his willing to, willingness to trust God with everything that he is. And we see it happen later when God comes to him when he's about 90 years old and tells him he's going to have a kid. And he's like, I'm 90. How many of you are 90. Any children on the way? And he didn't really, he trusted God, but his wife didn't remember that. And then she was muted for a while. And then, and then Isaac, and then later, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he came to him and he said, Isaac, yes, Lord, take your son. Or, uh, Abraham, yes, Lord, take your son, Isaac, whom you love. Take him to a place that I'll tell you about. Again, he's testing him. He's saying, I want you to, to give up everything that you hold dear. And the promise that I made you, are you willing to hold that loosely so that I will know that you love me more than you love this son of the promise. And he picked up and he left. And we see this time and time and time again in scripture. And what's the point? The point is that God uses willing people, not capable people, but willing people, not not people of great acclaim. Look at David, the youngest of all the boys in his family. He picked him to be king. God, God typically uses the willing, the humble, people who say, yes, my Lord. Now, if we fast forward thousands of years, we get to this book known as Ephesians, where Paul, who's the author of about two-thirds of the New Testament, he's an apostle of Christ, and he, he loves this church uh, in, in Ephesus, and he has wonderful things to say to them. But if you watch, you'll see this progression of, it's not just Abram and the Israelites. From the beginning of time, God intended that, that the church would be his family. It would start off with the Israelites, the people of God. It would start off with the chosen ones. Um, but then after Christ and what he did for us and, and the death and the sacrifice and the, the, all the theological words that we talked about over the last several weeks, the, 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 we, were, we were taken and made new and made blameless in his sight, declared as to be justified to, so that it's as if we have never sinned, that God chooses to treat us that way. And he's making and continuing to build his family 
on this earth. And you'll see here in Genesis chapter 1, it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance, and I want you to, I want you to notice this, this word that keeps popping up, that will keep popping up, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, that is Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even, or as we would say it, that is Christ. Now, God picked Noah to save humanity, to give it a new start, to give all of creation a bath. And Noah, from Noah and his family came Abram. Abram was pulled away from his father to become the patriarch of the family of God. And God works through that genealogy throughout Old Testament history to bring about the person who will set all things right, that will renew all things. And that is the person who is both God and human, Jesus Christ. And because of what God did in Christ, you and I, who aren't descendants of Abram, get to be part of God's family. Now, I want to... I the reason we're choosing that word, that household and the family, is this. You're part of a family? What does that mean? Does it matter who you come from and what your progeny, what your offspring, what, your, what, what children and their children that have produced? If, if it doesn't mean much, then why does it hurt when those family ties are strained, when there's unforgiveness or anger, when there's disappointment or betrayal, the ones that matter most in our relationships on this planet, the ones that hurt the most are the ones that matter most. And I understand that there are some families that are so broken that people have to set up boundaries and have no relationship with them whatsoever. One of my best friends in the world, his, his dad... Um, when he, he'd, he'd saved up, he'd worked all the way through middle school and high school and saved up all of his money um, so that when he, was, he wanted to go off and be an engineer and when he was going off to college, he had saved about, and this is back in the 70s, uh, early 80s, he had saved about $30,000 as a kid. And when he went off to pay, and you could, you could pay for four years of tuition without any problem with $30,000 back then. When he went off and he went to, 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 to withdraw from his account, get a, get a bank-issued check to pay his tuition for the first semester... It was all gone. And his dad had taken it. And time and time and time and time again over the next decade, the man just continued to disappoint and harm and betray. I understand that sometimes there, needs to be, there need to be boundaries. But I can tell you that, that my friend was defined in large part by those betrayals. You know some of my story. 
It was not a great family because it was broken, but it defined me. It made me very much who I am in the good and the bad. And I want you to consider for a moment, if you would, what family means. It is of utmost importance in the human condition. It always has and it always will. And the reason our hearts cry out so much when some of those family relationships are broken is because they matter so much. If they didn't matter, it wouldn't hurt. And then take that and translate it to the fact that the God of the universe chose you, chose me, chose us to be his family, not just in his family, but to be his family. He has Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has the cherubim and the seraphim. He has the angels, but on earth, he has us. And he wants us to represent him well. He wants us to know him well. He wants us to be known by him. It is astonishing to me that God, the God of the universe, would even consider me as a member of his family. It tells that that from before creation, in his good pleasure and in his wisdom, he, he predestined me and you to be a member of his family. It goes on in Ephesians chapter two, it says this, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens. So Abram, and this is all a tie back to Abram, but Abram, when he left, he went to a place where he was a foreigner, an alien, where he did not have access to a household other than the household of God. So we, and when people become Christians, especially in that world, and they come out of either Judaism or out of some pagan worship, their families wrote them off. It happens right now. There's a bunch of people that were rescued, new Christians that were rescued from Afghanistan because when they were converted to Christianity, uh, their families wrote them off and they now had a target on their head for potentially for imprisonment or execution, but certainly for persecution. So Paul is trying to remind the people of God, the new people of God, the brand new people of God, they had no idea what it means to be the family of God. He's trying to let them know that they belong You are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, God's family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, we've all heard that your body is a temple of the Lord. In individual bodies, that is true. But where does God speak? Where does God do, will, and act according to his good purpose? In his family, in his people, in the church. The church, the church, the big C church, the church, is where God shows his hope for humanity. And he picked you to be a part of his family. He picked you to be a part of carrying out his mission on this earth. He picked you to be a part of showing the world who desperately needs to know just who God is and what God is like. How do you get to know a person if you don't meet them personally? Through their children or through their brother, 
or through their parents. You get to know a person in part by getting to know their family. So this world who's crying out, always offended about everything, always feeling persecuted by some group that they want to demonize, where do they find out that the God of the universe adores them? That he has pleasure when he thinks of them? Where do they find that out? How do they know? If they don't know the God, we can't expect someone who doesn't know a God to act like they follow him. But they can know you. And they do know you. And they can watch you. And they do watch you. They watch us. Because we are the family of God. We are God's household. We are God's temple. We are God's chosen people. And so what does Paul say to those chosen people in Ephesus? What does he say to us today? I'll flip it over there. Ephesians 4, Paul's in prison, and he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, listen to this. This is, this is gloriously wonderful, but kind of sticky. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of, of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I don't want to be pokey. But when's the last time you wondered, am I living a life worthy of the calling? Am I being a citizen of heaven? Am I living up to what I've already attained in Christ? Because I don't have to prove anything to God. He has already declared me to be a person who has never sinned, even though I know I've sinned and he knows I've sinned, but he, he, he treats us as if we've never sinned. That's justification. I'm already justified. I'm already chosen. I'm already picked. I'm, already, I'm in the process of being sanctified. I've already been forgiven of my sin. I've already, I, and I can see in the scriptures that, he, that, that, that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to humanity, on whom God's favor rests. He favors us. We see here in two different occasions that, that it's according to his pleasure and will. God desires certain things, not just from us, but for us. And if we don't know what is for us, it is very difficult to know what God might want from us. So as his family, do we know our dad? Do we know our father? We understand Jesus. He's more like a brother. And I'm not, I'm not taking away his lordship. I'm not doing any of that. But, but we, we can identify with him because he identified with us. We understand what it means to be flesh and blood. We understand what it means to be tempted. We understand what it means to be sick. Jesus, all of those things experienced while he was on this planet. And that's a beautiful thing about the God of the universe, that he wanted us to know that our God would identify with us. But do his people identify with him? Or are we worried 
of what the world is becoming? Are we afraid of what it's going to be like in a couple of years? It's okay to be concerned. It's okay to read the leaves and see the writing on the wall. We all can see what, what is happening and where that might lead. But who do we trust? As the family of God, do we listen to our daddy? As the family of God, do we trust our dad? When you were a child and a big thunderstorm rolled in, I'm talking when you were three or four, and if, if, if you were like me, you had roommates called siblings. Now everyone gets their own room and all that, I get it. But, but when, when, this, when a big thunderstorm rolled in and you got scared, where did you run? Your parents' room. Oh, there's a big storm of brewing, folks. Where do we run? I hope to God that we run to God. I hope to God that we say, show us how you want us to be. With this scary storm coming, how do you want us to behave? Because he will set the tone and his people should follow the tone. If he's unafraid, we're unafraid. Doesn't mean we're supposed to be without wisdom. Doesn't mean that we're supposed to be careless, but we can be carefree. Because there is nothing that can happen to me. There's nothing that can happen to you. There's nothing that can happen to us without the will of our Father in heaven. And He is truly our Father. He has chosen us to be His family on earth. And the only pokey question I have is, do we look like it? I hope so. I'm not thinking of anything in particular where I don't believe it's true, but I hope, I hope we're trying to live up to the calling that we have already received. That instead of trying to appease a deity, instead of being upset by every little thing that comes up, that we go run into our father's room and we say, I'm scared. And he will reassure us and say, I've got this. None of this is happening without my will. None of this is happening without my knowledge. And I want to remind you, little ones, that I picked you, you, before the creation of the world to be my child. And I will not, I will not shirk my responsibilities as your father. So come what may, you are God's family, and he is your dad, and he is wise and kind, hope-giving, and nothing, nothing is beyond his reach, and nothing is beyond his knowledge. So in the words of Paul, one more time. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hands have made. Lord, it is so easy to get caught up in thinking that our troubles, our worries, our concerns, what we see going on right now is the only thing that matters. And it does matter to you that we're in the situations that we're in. 
But we don't know the future. But we know the one who does. And he's our dad. So Father, Abba, Daddy, comfort your people. Reassure us that you've got this. And help us trust the one who chose us. In Jesus' name, amen.